This is Jeff Roney from Roney's Own Productions at jrdonline.com. And you are listening to Doctor Who Podshock Live. Talk Recorded live. Come along, my dear. It's time we went off. One of the reasons why Doctor Who's managed to survive for so long was precisely because of this bright idea they had when William Hartnell wanted to leave the show after three years, that he could regenerate into a different-looking person, and he did indeed regenerate into Patrick Troughton. I was really miffed. I didn't like it at all. Post Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock Live, episode 97, The Patra Troughton Years, Doctor Number 2. And while one or two may have been miffed at that first regeneration, uh, I think in hindsight, uh, we're all pleased that it went well. It's uh, an ingenious idea. It's not only did uh, the show radically, not did they just change the lead actor, but the show actually uh, radically changed as well in a certain sense. Uh, they first, they changed the actor with not with someone that looked like William Hartnell, uh, not someone that acted like William Hartnell, but really um, so, someone that that was younger, someone that, that, that took the show in a different direction, that handled the character differently. And if this um, regeneration failed, the series would have followed suit and we would not be here talking among um, everyone on our live broadcast and um, having a, a podcast today about a uh, this wonderful show that we know as Doctor Who. So we're, are, we are internally grateful uh, for that first regeneration into Patrick Troughton and uh, hats off to Patrick Troughton himself, uh, the late great Patrick Troughton, for uh, carrying the show and, and, and enabling it to continue, you know, and uh, laying um, the groundwork for other regenerations to follow because uh, uh, John Pertwee and, and all the others uh, followed suit and uh, kind of took the lead from Patrick Troughton about st- and, and changing the show and re- uh, the show itself regenerated um, ser- various times with each regeneration. So um, it's um, ultimately a good thing. Right, Ken? Ken, I'm sorry. I should have introduced. I'm I'm going right into the show, <laughs> and I, I, I have you to, all fired up after. Yeah, well, <laughs> I uh, joining me with me is I, first of all, I'm Louis Trapani, and um, it's good to cool. be back on Doctor Who Podshock after a little hiatus there. And um, joining me with me is uh, our illustrious uh, co-host, Mr. Ken Deep. Hello, Ken. Hello. Feeling a little bit under the weather, but I wouldn't miss a podcast on the Patrick Troughton era for all the tea in China. Ah, all the so, tea in China. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, you you hit it right on the head when you said that if uh, if the Patrick Troughton experiment failed, Doctor Who failed, and there was a lot of uh, there was definitely a lot of pressure. I'm sure a lot of weight on his shoulders to uh, take the series in a, in a fresh direction while essentially keeping Doctor Who the same. I think they've succeeded beyond anyone's expectations. I, I think um, perhaps the, the best the Beeb would have hoped for at the time was, well, this guy will get us another year out of this kid's show. You know, maybe we can stretch this for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead reinvented the series uh, and, and invented a, a way of keeping the show going for decades and decades to come. And um, you and I both had a chance to meet Patrick Troughton on, on several occasions before his untimely passing at a Doctor Who convention, mm-hmm. uh, which should be an indication of his enthusiasm uh, for the television show. He was the one doctor that appeared in every multi-doctor episode 
uh, prior to his passing. Never turned down the series. Never turned down uh, the, the chance to to uh, speak about the show and make an appearance. Um, a man of of boundless energy. Uh, when meeting him, you was no less than charmed by the man. Uh, you know, and in awe of his uh, an enormous acting talent. If you've ever seen him in anything outside of Doctor Who, the the scope of his acting talent is extraordinary, from good guys to bad guys, from these rich intellectuals to the most simple type of character. He did it all, and he was wonderful. And, uh, and I wanted to say, to lead the, the podcast off, is very timely news in the last week that uh, United Fan Con up in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, the first weekend of November, I believe it's the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of November, 2007, uh, just announced that Wendy Padbury, Zoe, from the Patrick Trout era, is their special doctor. Uh, this is significant for a number of reasons. First off, we have a black and white era guest uh, in the United States uh, and on the East Coast. Uh, and for me personally, a very drivable experience. Uh, someone I've never met before, which in Doctor Who terms, is is uh, significant. It's actually, um, I've already discussed this with Lewis and a few other friends that I uh, think I'm going to make the drive to the convention and and, uh, and get up there and, and see uh, see Wendy Padbury and get a chance to say hello to everybody. And just just exciting news. It, it seems so timely that we were about to do this Patrick Troughton episode and then they announced a, mm-hmm. a Patrick Troughton era guest. Um, and it's great. It's just really very. I, I applaud United FanCon. They've always put a Doctor Who guest in their uh, in their in their guest list for every single convention, and uh, they they picked a, a really uh, just an, uh, someone I'm very excited to see. You know, someone who's also um, very someone who's also very uh, um, energetic and, and very happy and pleased to still be involved. In uh, in the in the Doctor Who family for many many years, and a total sweetheart from what I hear. So I'm looking forward to meeting her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be remiss to that I didn't also mention when you mentioned um, um, Wendy Padbury being there. You heard some um, howls in the background, and that's uh, none other than our uh, regular contributor Dave Cooper in um, in the UK. Hey, Dave. Hi, and a, a Zoe fanatic at that. <laughs> a Zoe fanatic, yes. Well, that outfit in the Mine Robber is worth a trip to Springfield, Massachusetts. And it's not, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the same Springfield that that Homer Simpson and family live in. Otherwise, that would be double the reason to go there. <laughs> You'd be able to do a nice drooling sound then. <laughs> the Homer drool. <laughs> yeah, the home. Oh, we nuts. need Homer to say. Uh, and Lewis, I did get a text text message from Joe uh, that he is uh, on board and he is uh, muted. So Joe Joe Omega on the forums is uh, is amongst the uh, the good folks okay, here well, on I'm the live podcast. I'm looking for him now, and um, hmm. and while I'm while Lewis is is searching through there, and we're I'm speaking a little bit about conventions. Uh, just prior to our starting the Patrick Troughton episode, uh, a quick reminder that if you go to uh, iconsf.org, which is Icon uh, here in SUNY Stony Brook, Long Island, New York, their website, and maybe fumble about a bit, and you'll see a web a, an address, uh, email address um, for suggestions and information on the convention, and a quick reminder, perhaps to send an email. Suggesting or requesting a Doctor Who guest, that's always a good thing. Um, I think Doctor Who fans are very good at being vocal. I think sci-fi fans are very good at being vocal, but in particular Doctor Who fans. And uh, make our suggestions to Icon that we would like a Doctor Who guest back at Icon for the first time in what amounts to at least seven or eight years, maybe longer, uh, maybe as long as ten years. My, my memory is a little hazy, plus the NyQuil is definitely not helping. 
Yeah, I think it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been 1999s that um, perhaps I think was the last time that, that McCoy? Sylvester McCoy was yeah. at Icon. And, he, a, and a wonderful friend to Icon, Sylvester McCoy has appeared more than any other Doctor Who guest at, at Icon over the years. Um, and and uh, we're thankful to him for, for always uh, accepting the invitation. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, Joe. <laughs> Omega is He's on He's an honorary Long Islander with all those... Uh, icon appearances hey joe are you there i am here okay so joe is, Omega is with us a big pat trotton fan himself and i was just to have say, you a man on the show. definitely a big patrick trotton fan yeah so <laughs> yeah. a very understated joe <laughs> so get getting back to the patent trotton error uh not only was it a change of the lead actor, and uh, as I was saying earlier in um, the intro into this podcast, was that the show itself actually um, altered course a bit. And we had, um, uh, with um, Jamie coming on board as a companion in his story, The Highlanders, uh, actually marked the last of the pure historical episodes of um, Doctor Who, uh, stories of Doctor Who, where, of course, we still have um, historical episodes, but uh, there's usually a science fiction element somehow involved. And uh, back with William Hartnell, there were uh, various stories that, that took place in Earth's history that were purely historical episodes that didn't really, you know, outside of the Doctor and his TARDIS and uh, didn't have any other science fiction or alien elements involved in it. So um, the, the, uh, the Patrick series um, sort of introduced... Um, the more science fiction direction of the series. And uh, we got to see more creatures and bug-eyed monsters. And um, <laughs> it, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, it was actually w when the show was first criticized for being more, being too violent for kids and whatnot. And I'm sure it probably first appeared on Mary Whitehouse's radar <laughs> when she, at that time. So, um, Lots of changes that well, took place in, in that, that, that actually carried the series through many other doctors that followed after Patrick, Pat Trouton, as I was saying earlier. I'm sorry, Ken. Well, there's, there's several, um, several things that make Patrick Trouton's era unique as far as like little oddities that stand out. It, it, it was also in his era that the groundwork for UNIT was laid. That's right. Which is a, is a staple of the Pertwee era, but it began... In mm -hmm. Patrick Trouton's era. The sonic screwdriver as well. The sonic screwdriver as well. How about one of the most beloved companions of all time in Jamie? Exactly. Uh, who, he was uh, basically was the almost, companion from beginning to end of his um, whole yes, tenure. almost beginning to end. Uh, Patrick Trouton himself laid the groundwork or laid the template of the majority of the Doctors staying only three seasons. Uh, it, was, it was he who said, you know, three seasons, it's a lot of work. And still back in his era, there wasn't uh, – the show almost ran year-round. It didn't stop. It, it continued week to week to week. He had a diverse collection of episodes in, in length from four-parters, five-parters, six-parters, eight-parters, ten-parters. There, there was no format when it came to the length of a story, which was uh, – I thought was brilliant. Uh, why limit yourself? Whatever the story requires. Uh, why say, well, we're only going to do four-parters? In Patrick Trouton's era, whatever it took to get the story told, that's what they would do. Yes, uh, Fair, uh, Fairport in our chat session just um, reminded us that Jelly Babies began with the Patrick Trouton era as well. There you go. And, and of course, Patrick Trouton being the last doctor uh, in black and white, you know, the, the transition, there, there were tests, there is test footage. Uh, I have never seen any, unfortunately, and I would love to, but I know that they tested many of the color cameras during Patrick Troughton's era, and there, you know, of course there were pat color photographs throughout Doctor Who's history, uh, but it was until the Three Doctors, you know, it was all the way in 1973 that we first got to see Patrick Troughton as the Doctor in color. Um, but this, this effectively ended the black and white era. And of course the most notable thing I think that people think when they think Patrick Troughton era is how many stories are missing. And that's probably the saddest part yeah. of his era, is that it's, it's Troughton who suffers the most missing episodes, more than Hartnell. Uh, and then, of course, afterwards, 
with Pertwee, yeah, you we lost some color copies, but there was always a black and white representation of everything of Pertwee's. Mm-hmm. With Patrick Troughton, basically only his last season survives. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Yes, um, that that he suffered the most out of the loss of the missing episodes at the BBC. We can only hope that um, they'll be recovered, or at the very least, the animation group that did such a great job with the invasion uh, is funded. Or you know, if there are funds that are available to continue that great work, because uh, it'd be great to get all his stories, you know, completed in one way or or the other. You know, in a uh, representing the video format that it was originally shown in. And kudos to the, the good folks, the, the fans and organizations that have uh, put together many of the reconstructions. I know I've always, uh, I've always praised them, and, and I continue mm-hmm. to do so. People and uh, some some good folks who have meticulously taken the sound, the soundtracks, the original recordings, some of them off air uh, of the Patrick Troughton stories, and taken photographs and existing footage, and called it all together into a, a reconstruction of his era, so that. We can at least imagine what those episodes were like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Patrick Troughton himself was a very, very personable um, actor and, and human being. Um, as Ken mentioned, we had the privilege of uh, meeting him on uh, several occasions and back in the 80s. And uh, we do have a interview under our belt that one day we'll unleash to... Um, to our, to, our, to our listeners and I should say viewers as well uh, because it's a video interview and um, he's um, he, he had he's, he's a family man um, he brought to the series um, something it's kind of hard to put your finger on it but it was um, just a, a sense of levity but as well as um, we got to learn more about who the doctor was through him as well. And, um, and, and it just really carried the show to the next level because, um, I mean, as great as William Hartner was, it, it went only so far. And then, uh, Patrick Troughton, I think really took it to that next step. And, um, you know, of course, other doctors then followed suit, but, you know, we owe a lot to Patrick Troughton. And as Ken had mentioned, it's it said that we did lose him when we did, and um but um the series um really shined because of of him and his contributions and the chemistry that he had with um um you know the the with Wendy Padbury and um Fraser Hines and um it, it it's you know not to mention the others guest actors and other companions of that era um I, I just I just think he did a great job there. Joe, you've been very quiet. Well, I, I've been letting everyone speak. I've been uh, yeah, but uh, one thing I just wanted to mention: has there been any more word on how they said they fe- may have found the web of fear? We haven't heard anything about that. It's been pretty much a rumor, but uh, yeah. that would be great, great news because that is the brigadier's. Well, I should say that is Lethbridge Stewart's first appearance in Doctor Who, uh, and again uh, a, a, a test plate, a test of things to come for Doctor Who, uh, uh, coupled with, of course, with the invasion. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think Outpost Gallery stepped back a little bit from the original announcement just to um, because I think they were getting fans overexcited about it and. Uh, they, they said that although they'd heard this, they hadn't had a, a secondary confirmation. So they just stepped, they didn't deny it, but they just stepped back from the story a little. And yeah. I think if if the story is true and, and, it's, and it's verified, I'm sure um, the official website as well as the Beebs official website uh, will make an announcement about it, and that will be our, our confirmation. And that's no disrespect to Outpost Gallifrey or, or Doctor Who Online or any of the, the news services, but... Uh, you know, the, this would be a significant find uh, for a number of reasons. First off, because it's simply uh, it's missing, and that we've spent, you know, Doctor Who fans have spent uh, three decades searching for missing stories. But the fact that this would almost immediately demand a video release. So, uh, from a from a commercial point of view, uh, it would be significant. So, of course, they would not hesitate to announce this once 
you know, once there is confirmation. Um, we don't have any other details. We don't know if it's a full story or a single episode or even just clips. So, uh, and I think I think Dave hit it on the head. He said they just don't want to get anybody overexcited, and then turn around and say, "Sorry, we found you know four minutes or something that we already had." And that's one of the things that that happens uh, in the search is many times they find episodes that already exist, and we just don't we simply don't hear about it. And perhaps they find an improved print, perhaps they find a, an inferior print, and, and those things. Something like this, oh, we may have found the Web of Fear. Well, what if we found an, uh, a copy of something we already have? Yeah. And, then it, and then everybody's bubble has burst. So I, I, I would, I'm excited, but I also I, I stress caution before we get too excited about it until they make the official announcement. Mm -hmm. yeah. The Web of Fear, though, uh, from an audio point of view, and, and Joe uh, had emailed me once and asked me, you know, he's starting to put his, Patrick Troutman audio collection together, and he said, you know, give me a few suggestions on where I should start, and, and I believe Joe will confirm that, that I said the Web of Fear is probably, you yeah. know, number one or number two on my list, that and maybe Fury from the Deep. Uh, Web of Fear is a great starting point. It's a fun episode. It features the Yeti, who are um, iconic Patrick Troughton-era monsters, and it's the first appearance of Brigadier, then Colonel Lethbridge, Lethbridge Stewart, that in itself is historical, and you know, from the from the show's point of view, and why this would be significant if it is there is a find on this uh, particular episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Patrick Troughton also uh, his era, you know, again the the Yeti, the, the Yeti really uh, they're considered to be these like legendary Doctor Who monsters, and yet they're only in two stories, and they're both in Patrick Troughton's era. Didn't did the Ice Warriors uh, get their start in Troughton? Ice Warriors as well. And and you could make a case that although the Cybermen mm -hmm. debuted in Hartnell's last episode, they really became yeah. the baddies they are in in sure. Patrick Troughton's era, having faced them one, two, three, four times at least. Yeah. Um, you know, more than any other doctor ever faced the Cybermen. Troughton locked horns with them. Yeah. It was also uh, Patrick Troughton that uh, advised uh, Peter Davison about, you know, staying for three years, and now that's become sort of a um, de facto standard, even though, you know, we have had actors stay longer or shorter, but it, it's averaging out to about three years as a, as a run as the Doctor. Uh, he, in fact, um, Patrick Troughton's um, favorite Doctor was Doctor Number 2. Um, I mean, Peter Davison's favorite Doctor was um, Doctor Number 2, Patrick Troughton. And even paying not paying uh, give, paying a nod to to Troughton in Castrovalva by um, you know mm -hmm. holding his suspenders and, and and you know doing a little impersonation of both Hartnell and Troughton. He grew up during the the Troughton era, and, and you know there's there's a Doctor Who uh, a DWM a Doctor Who magazine uh, article about a few catchphrases that only seem to work in uh, my word. In, in, descri in describing, <laughs> sorry, it was a catchphrase. Uh, errors of Doctor Who, and and the term Chaplin-esque only mm. seems to be used yeah. when describing Patrick Troughton. Uh, the cosmic hobo is another one. You know, they, yeah. there's these few um, few catchphrases that you know if you said anybody else was Chaplin-esque, it wouldn't work. You only, you know, only if you're describing Patrick Troughton. Uh, yeah. Well, one of the other big things. Mm, sorry, Joseph. Oh, no, I was just saying one of the other big things is uh, we actually start to learn a bit about his history, like what a Time Lord is and all that. In the Troughton era, William Hartnell's era didn't touch upon that. And then in the War Games, we get a glimpse of, you know, the the world that Patrick Troughton is from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's another and, lasting um, legacy of the Troughton era, Gallifrey. Yes, yeah. and and... He also mentions in one story about his family uh, in the Troughton era. Mm -hmm. we, we, we've come to know that Susan is his granddaughter, and that's about as far as we went in the Hartnell era uh, when it came to um, the doctor's past. But in Troughton, Troughton's era, they do mention a little bit, he says, my family sleeps in the back of my mind. And, and uh, even though it's only one line, it's more than we had um, – yeah 
you know, all the way to late in the part we era where he mentions about being a boy and, and you know, sitting on a hill and all this kind of stuff. So there's always these little drops, and, and Troughton also uh, finally lets a little of that out. He also, uh, the diary, the 500-year diary and the recorder and all these little nuances that sort of set the tone for other doctors to have something that, that um, distinguishes them from other doctors. Um, you know, Hartnell was the doctor. He came out and, he, you know, he was obviously the first and he, he laid the groundwork. But Troughton said, well, what if I did something that's a little bit different? Um, well, I think this came. will be a great point, a great point in the podcast to um, get Dave's perspective on this. Being a, um, a fan of the series during the Hartnell era and, um, and having that first regeneration, what was his initial take? I mean, I, re- I think a lot of Doctor Who fans, when they first be it whatever regeneration it is when they first experience their their first regeneration there's a sense of loss because the character that they've been you know watching and loved for for you know how long however long they've been following the series is now gone and someone else is like filling in their shoes and there may be some slight resentment or like who is this guy and why you know where's my doctor and um so um Dave, can you kind of uh, fill us in on on your feelings on when when this first happened and what your take on it was? Yeah, fine. Uh, that's why in that intro I left that little bit at the end from uh, uh, Thirty Years in the Tardis, yeah. where uh, the girl who's uh, being interviewed said she was a bit miffed because, and we can't overstate this too much. If that hadn't have worked, um, then obviously Doctor Who wouldn't have continued. So. It, everything really hung on that point. And to be frank, you know, um, a lot of people, I mean, the first Doctor made himself, I mean, I know he was a crotchety old man uh, in some parts, but um, we got to love him more and more as it went on. And to the point where when he when it did come the time, it, there was a, a great emotional scene and, and everything was all around that. So... Um, it was by no means certain that it would be a success at all. And um, I think Ken said at the beginning, it might have bought them an extra year. Um, it was just worth the gamble. But it paid off and paid off handsomely. And it wasn't plain sailing. Um, I do remember one of my first um, thoughts about the, the, the Patrick Troughton one. Um, he wore a silly hat right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I can't quite remember what it looked like. It's but it almost tall, looked like um, like chimney type of hat. That that tall hat. Yeah, it was almost like the. Uh, I don't know. You know the French Pierrot clowns. I mean, I know their hats white, but it was, that was sort of the style, and it 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 gave him the cross between the um the the hobo and the clown, uh, and it. Of course, this has become synonymous now with Doctor Who. We expect this irrational behaviour at first. I mean, uh, even Tom Baker, he was a bit maniac that first um, time that we uh, we saw him uh, and one or two others. And, and, and when Ken mentioned earlier on that the uh, the seventh Doctor was coming to this convention, I would think of all the, the later Doctors, the seventh Doctor took the most from uh, Patrick Troughton in, in, in his portrayal. And I think that was one of the things about the Doctor. He's not just different um, in his face or whatever, but even fairly basic things like stature and, and so on. Uh, I mean, we're hearing the three Doctors, um, uh, the first Doctor saying, oh, you know, a, a dandy and a clown. Um, and and everything there gives the whole show, uh, it reinvents it in a way. Um, and one of the things that the second Doctor brought that... Um, he seemed to be underestimated a lot. He he he, um, mm-hmm. he did silly things, and you're yeah, thinking okay. he's he's lost the plot here. Uh, but of course, it was what what we would now call misdirection, and um, uh, he'd done something like in the story where uh, where they have to defeat Omega. He um, he, he uses his um, recorder, uh, which is the only thing that hasn't been changed into antimatter, and uh, it seemed as though he's uh, being silly. So if I can jump around a bit, the other thing that we, we owe to him is the fact that he loved being the Doctor and he was willing to come back. Remember, he came back for the two Doctors, uh, the three Doctors story, mm-hmm. and of course the five Doctors. Now, uh, that hopefully will just bring um, 
people like um well, I don't know about the eighth doctor because I don't know how that would fit in. But if we can get the eighth and ninth doctor back in some marvelous time war story uh, somewhere down the road. But the point is that that uh, what's the word? The precedent has been set. So so much depended on his betrayal. But um, to answer your first question. I fairly soon got to, to like the Doctor, and of course, um, although some of the early uh, Polly and Ben were, were quite good, the, the whole mould of companion hadn't really uh, been defined, and I think that really happened, although there was Victoria, I think it really happened when Jamie came on. Mm-hmm. And then, again, although Jamie and Victoria worked, Jamie and Zoe, I mean, to me, the definitive uh, idea of the Doctor is the second Doctor with uh, Jamie and Zoe. Yeah. And I think one or two of us have talked about this. I think that if, if the present series is lacking anything, it's lacking a male companion. Now, God forbid, I mean, I know I rattle on a little bit and uh, seeing Zoe draped on the TARDIS and uh, some of the uh, um, Perry in a swimsuit and some of the others, I mean... It's not bad to watch at all. But I really do think we need a Stephen. We need um, a Ben. We need a Jamie in the TARDIS. And um, that um, three-way dynamic uh, where the Doctor might have to do something, where one of the companions may have to take care of of the other, um, there's so much that, that throws us back continually to the second Doctor. And that's not to take away from the first Doctor, I mean, he set the mould, but it was so marvellously done. Uh, uh, one of the other conversations we had recently, Ken, was that the fact that how David Tennant had been able to step out of the shadow um, in his portrayal of the, the Doctor uh, and uh, from Christopher Eccleston. And in his way, I think that's exactly what Patrick Troughton did. He, he, he made the part his own, um, uh, the story's moved on uh, and I know they're lost and uh, heavens a bit I, I wish I could remember more about the individual tales I, I mean I would have to say the the ten parter uh, the war games uh, remains my firm favourite and uh, even though when I read one or two of my companion books um, they say it might have been overly long but um, I love that and of course as uh, Joe said just a, a few moments ago, uh, it led up to the almost invention, if you will, of the time laws themselves and the whole uh, progress of the uh, of the series following on from that. I mean, I've got one or two other things to say, but I think I ought to hand back and let someone else have a chat for a minute. Yeah, I just re- want to remind all our listeners that you can chime in into the conversation uh, by going, uh, by, by calling into our show, and that's, um, you can do that. Uh, I think you don't need to be a, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think you need to be a talk show member um, to do that um, as you once were, but if you, I think you can call in either way. So it's 724-444-7444. And then our TalkCast ID number is 23358. So uh, encourage everyone um, if you're already if you're listening right now enter into the queue and we know that we, you want to uh, chime in on the conversation you want to hear your thoughts about Patrick Troughton and the Patrick Troughton error so uh, don't be shy this conversation is uh, for all our listeners and um, so I'm gonna um, hand the floor back to uh, to Joe Joe what was um I, I know you're a bit Pat Troughton uh, fan so what kind of what stories would you um are among your favorites of of the Pat Trouton era? Um, definitely uh, the invasion, yes. without a doubt, is one of my favorite stories. Regardless of you know any era, it's uh, you know just a brilliant story. You know, just one of the best you know Cyberman stories. It's uh, the villain of Tobias Vaughn is, I think, one of my favorite villains the Doctor's ever faced. He was very cunning, and he played a very suave, smooth sort of villain that's very, 
he's very like a Roger Delgado's master in a way. Uh, his portrayal, uh, Kenneth Stoney of uh, Tobias Vaughn. And he did it in such a way where, you know, when you're watching it, you even think like, gee, you know, this guy's really cunning. He might be able to, you know, really pull one over the doctor. So that was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. The audios I have listened to, I think uh, Power of the Daleks is probably one of the best Dalek stories, even though it's only on audio. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the best introductions of a doctor. Uh, The War Games is definitely one of my favorites. It's um, probably up there with Caves of Androzani as far as best regeneration stories. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely adore the Ice Warriors. I enjoyed uh, Victoria quite a bit. And, you know, I can even just watch the Lost in Time uh, DVD and just watch the single episodes that exist without listening to the audios and all that and, and just love it because, you know, just I just find Patrick Troughton's acting and Patrick Troughton as the doctor and his companions to just be fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, that actually just reminded me of one mm-hmm. thing. Patrick Troughton is the only doctor to ever have only historical or like non-contemporary companions join as TARDIS. His three companions were not from contemporary Earth. No other doctor has ever gone his whole run with a not with a uh, with no, you know, con- not yeah. having a contemporary that's companion join yeah. the part of. That's a that's an observation and, that can be often missed. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And it didn't and hurt the show right. either. I mean, I think the reason why we always have to have a contemporary companion as of late is so that the audience can identify with the companion and can identify with the show through the companion's eyes, but it doesn't need necessarily have to be. I mean, as Patch Stroughton's well, error can testify to. Of course. The, the fact that Jamie is so beloved is, uh, you know, knocks that, that theory right down on the floor. You know, oh, we need to have somebody the audience can relate to. Uh, well, I related to Jamie. Sure. And yeah. I'm not from, you know, the highlands of Scotland. I don't know, but I've seen you so, in the kilt a few times. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah, well. <laughs> ah, now we know. <laughs> yeah. He's no, a man with a dick. <laughs> I, have to, I have to agree with Joe on, on some of his favorites. Uh, you know, Invasion, again, setting, the, setting the, uh, the framework for what would become the John Pertwee era, you know, and, and on top of that, Tobias Vaughn, uh, if you look at that story with, with uh, International Electromatics and Tobias Vaughn, and, and what that company represents, mm-hmm. you look at what's happened in the future to Microsoft or, or uh, modern companies, sure. there, there are dangers that people have written about in, in the modern world that are represented by that story. Yes, it's fantastic about the Cybermen. That part is science fiction, but um, an electronics company becoming very powerful, that's not science fiction. That's reality. Mm -hmm. And and Doctor Who, once again, being ahead of its time. Absolutely. So um, maybe both of you can um, chime in on this, um, Joe and and Ken, and and anyone else, of course. Um, Since there are only a limited amount of of Patrick Houghton complete episodes, complete stories available... Outside of those, those aside, if someone had seen all those and now are hungry and eager to hear to digest more Pat Trouton stories, where would you suggest them to begin? Um, I know there are many that exist on in audio and reconstructions. And uh, what would you what would your recommended stories be to where to go next after you digested all the existing stories that are available? Well, as I mentioned in, in my suggestion to Joe, I thought that Web of Fear is an excellent excellent starting point. Uh, because it has the iconic Yeti uh, and the beginnings of the Brigadier, and it takes place, um, you know, in, in a contemporary Earth, which would have been the 60s, you know, uh, Earth, London. 
And mm-hmm. the story works well on audio. Um, the descriptions, it doesn't require um, – the visuals are very simple and very easy to, to, uh, to, to suggest. You know, everybody has seen pictures of the Yeti. Any Doctor Who fan is, has generally seen the Yeti. So you don't have to describe the monster too much in order for you to imagine it. And my favorite of the audios is Fury from the Deep. Uh, that story is incredibly creepy. Mm-hmm. And also a departure uh, from what is normally the kids show Doctor Who. It is actually perhaps um, foreshadows the Tom Baker, um, Hinchcliffe, gothic horror era of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. In that um, it, there's nothing very, you know, there's something creepy and menacing going on, and it's. It's not necessarily fun and, and, and like a silly monster. or uh, There's still humor in the story, but it's, it's definitely a creepy, creepy story. Yeah, I love that story, too. I just listened to it again not that long ago. And, yeah, it works perfect in audio, and it really is creepy. I was listening to it in broad daylight, and I was getting a little creeped out. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'd say that those you know, I haven't listened to Web of Fear yet, but, you know, I'm going to take Ken's word on it. And I'm, just, uh, I'm sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, sorry. And, uh, yeah, and Power of the Daleks would be a fairly good starting point, too, just because it is the regeneration. It is, the you know, when, yeah, it's the beginning of that era, and, you know, they they tackle the regeneration in a way that, they they don't they haven't really done it, you know since then like the you know Ben uh, really doesn't believe it's still the Doctor and you know there's this whole like is he really the Doctor and there there's panic and no one knows what to do and they don't really do that again in in Doctor Who so. I mean, they sort of hint throughout the series that it's sort of understood that the companions have an idea of what the regeneration is. So that way, you know, they can just sort of gloss over that, sort of like in, you know, Robot, where, you know, it's just very accepted. It's Tom Baker now, and they just sort of jump right into it. Yeah. Well, they've they've kind of, they've dealt with it. Um, They've put the companions in very much the audience's point of view in Power of the Daleks, Ben and Polly were the audience. They, they Never more so were the companions the audience in that, that doubting, is this the Doctor? But by the yeah. time you got to Tom Baker, as an example, that was the third time the regeneration had happened, and Sarah and the Brigadier acted accordingly. Yeah. They, they reacted as if this is a change, but they always accepted that it was the Doctor, knowing the audience knew it was the Doctor. And it would become yeah. very tiresome for them to have to make Tom Baker prove he's the Doctor. Yeah. No, exactly. I understand, like, that's why they did it. But it is just interesting to see that sort of what, reaction what like to, done. What I'd like to ask Dave is what, from the Patrick Troughton era, someone who watched those episodes, uh, being that so many are missing, which ones – stood out in your mind at that time, which ones made an impact or an impression to someone who watched it on their first run? Wendy Padbury's first story? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was trying to think the, uh, the other point before. I mean, uh, there are lots of little bits of constructions or reconstructions on YouTube. I can't particularly uh, think of the, the ones at the moment, but some are very amateur, some are absolutely marvellous at the way they've redone them. But... Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, the Highlanders, I suppose, was uh, one of the ones I really loved, uh, and the Smugglers. Um, thing is that uh, the stories do. I mean, I have a great affection for Patrick Troughton, but the stories themselves do blend together, and, and of course, uh, we all have a great affection for the for the uh, for the Yeti and the um, uh, the, the underground uh, adventure in, in the London Underground. And I was quite amazed when I saw a short clip of it recently because the Yeti looked a little bit ridiculous. But 
I don't remember them that way. I saw them as really scary monsters with these enormous eyes, uh, almost for seeing in the dark, and um, uh, the impact of them uh, running down the uh, the underground and and uh, searching and, uh, and 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 climbing onto uh, one of the platforms when the when the yeti first appear. I mean, those made a terrific impact. Sure. And as somebody's put in the text uh, for those listening later there's text chat going on and um, uh, one or two of the, the, the things that have been said there um, it's just hard it's just hard to, to pick out individual stories mm-hmm. but um, um, I'm losing my train of thought here but it really uh, the, the Patrick Troughton um, the monster of the week, that was it that somebody put in. It, it was the monster of the week type thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I do remember the uh, being very impressed when the Ice Warriors uh, first appeared. Uh, and um, and obviously the Cybermen were beginning to evolve because the first um, viewing of the Cybermen from the, uh, the first Doctor series, uh, they weren't particularly... Um, uh, a frightening, but by the time we got to see them in the Patrick, uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen, is that the right name? I mean, I feel, uh, although I'm a long watch person, I almost feel like an amateur against some of you people. Um, um, the Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, when they emerged from their mm-hmm. their cells, I mean, that was probably the single most frightening scene. Uh, and now it's iconic, isn't it? Uh, even in um, the, the new series, um, when we first meet, um, well, it wasn't Martha Jones then, was it? Uh, it was turned out to be her cousin um, in Torchwood AQ, HQ when when the the first Cyberman comes through the polystyre, uh, polythene to her. That is about as classic as you can get. And... Um, the, the, the actual shock and fear factor, and it really was a time when children hid behind the sofa. That's not a myth. That is exactly what happened. I mean, this was really groundbreaking, and I suppose we must call it that, children's television at the time. And uh, it was so... Uh, I mean, I, I think, was it Mary Whitehouse who said that, that, that one of the, the things she didn't like about cliffhangers, that you would see somebody, and I think one of the, the, the ones she talked about actually was one of the later Doctors where he's being strangled by some tentacles. Deadly assassin. And, and she thought it was, that's right, and she thought it was terrible that the children should have to go a whole week to school not knowing if the Doctor would survive. <laughs> and there's another famous one, um... And it's um, the one where the Doctor's being drowned in a in, in a lake. Again, one of the later Doctors. Um, and the, I'm sure in my... Um, it's the one where they end up crashing into Earth at the end of it, I think, isn't it? Uh, but again, where one of the Doctors is actually held underwater. Yeah, it, well, I think uh, that was Deadly then, Assassin, unless it's a different one, um, but yeah. Right, uh, and then it chops the whole week. But again, like we said, or Ken said earlier, all these things started out uh, either with the first Doctor or the second Doctor, and um, I don't think you can get anything more frightening than those first, uh, not the first Cybermen, but the, that, those Cybermen breaking out of their tomb. And uh, that was probably the one more memorable uh, stories. I don't know how many of parts of that are now available. Is it is it back constructed to, completely? To, Lewis, Tomb of the Cybermen's or? yeah, complete now. You're talking about yeah. Tomb of the Cybermen well, where they're breaking out of their their like cocoons. Yeah, and that became, that's correct. That, that's yeah. like iconic imagery now. That's the, you know that we've seen in the series repeat itself. You know they they keep on paying high. Even the most recent um, Rise of the Cybermen, you had them breaking through windows you know, in that, um, you know, into the house and all that, which reminded the audience of the Cybermen breaking out of their cocoons back from, you know, the Troughton era. Yeah, so I would say that that was my most vivid thing, that and Zoe on the TARDIS. (laughs) On the TARDIS (laughs) council, spinning around. That's right. Well, naturally, Dave, we have to 
we can't remember we can't forget those iconic moments either <laughs> well, well um, i can let you into a, a little a little secret uh, i know this is only between uh, you lewis and ken and joe and perhaps the odd uh, 10,000 people listening but um uh, when wendy Pabri came on board i think she was about 24 25 and i for my sins was already 20 then because uh, this is i think we're talking about 1966 are we now so I would be 20, and uh, uh, I was—I might have been 19, and I'd just gone to teacher college. And um, one of my first girlfriends at college, she was an absolute double for Wendy Pabry, absolute double of her. And I won't give any names, but uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I was, uh, as the American expression goes, I was in hog heaven, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Well, I'll we'll... go off into a little, a little dreamlike state now. Now for the next five minutes, just leave me, just leave me alone, uh, Lewis, for a bit. Well, we do, we do appreciate your insight as always, Dave. It's 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 great to get that first hand knowledge, um, sometimes cardinal knowledge, um, of the program. So it's it's interesting that the Cybermen compose so much of the iconic imagery of, of Trotman's era between the, them bursting out of the, the plastic um, in the tomb of the Cybermen, which has been repeated over and over again. I mean, Doctor Who has attempted to recapture yeah, that absolutely. shock uh, for, for decades. And then also the, the Cybermen bursting out of the sewers, you know, seeing Cybermen pop sewer caps off, heavy, heavy sewer caps off with a single fist and come walking out of the sewers, which... Um, Again, in, in Age of Steel and Rise of the Cybermen, we see uh, the Cybermen marching through the streets, um, attempting to invade. They it with the Autons as well, didn't they, Ken? Yeah. The Autons breaking from the shop windows. Yeah. Yeah. This, this idea that, um, that uh, the baddies come out from out of nowhere, seemingly right into the center of your, of your home. You know, by them coming out of the sewers, well, everyone has a sewer cap in, you know, near their home. And, and at any moment, the Cybermen could pop out of there. That's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, 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 there has been one thing that was more frightening than the Cybermen, though not in Patrick's time, and, and that was that little rubber doll thing, uh, that little, uh, oh, I forget what it was, but made of that living plastic that's sitting oh. on the back seat of the car. I mean, oh. there was that. If anybody ran for cover, then I mean, that was that was one of the most frightening things they ever did. Yeah. Um, Terror of the Autons. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be we'll be discussing that in two weeks. From two today. weeks. Yes. Yeah. Week, uh, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little foreshadowing for everybody. So, well, Lewis, have, why don't we? Uh, you, you're you reading my mind, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am. Yes. Uh, joining us, um, calling in is uh, Fairport. We're going to um, cue. Hello? Are you there, Fairport? Here I am. Greetings. Good to have you back. Greetings. Good morning, gentlemen from uh, California. I um, Actually, if, if I can, I want to add something that Dave said earlier. Not, sure. not about Wendy, but, um, but uh, when he was talking about the three doctors, uh, it was actually Russell T. Davies who uh, mentions in the Doctor Who Confidential, and for those that want to go back and watch, I think it was the one attached to the Sound of Drums. He mentions that the Doctor's greatest strength, or you know, even possibly his greatest weapon, is his sense of humor. And mm. you know, uh, Hartnell granted, you know, as this series progressed, you know, started to develop a bit of a sense of humor. It really starts with Troughton. And, Absolutely. Uh, and Dave brought up a great point about, um, you know, even if you just go back and watch The Three Doctors, if, if that's the only Troughton, you know, episode you've ever seen, um, granted, I mean, it's, it's um, more of The Third Doctor, but uh, it's, it's only through Troughton's, you know, personality and sense of humor that you're able to find out Omega's, you know, greatest weakness. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's, you know, at the heart, you know, uh, I think somebody even... Uh, Online mentioned that you know Tom Baker utilized that so well, and even um, uh, McCoy at the same time. And I, I guess we have 
at least every time I've ever read, it's Cindy Newman that we have to thank for the entire cosmic hobo approach to the mm. second doctor. And somebody tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not too certain. I mean, I'm particularly happy that he didn't go for the tough sea captain or that whole bit with the black face and turban idea. Um, yeah, it would have been very much different. <laughs> um, and probably a much shorter series. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, so much is always said about, you know, Troughton taking on this chaplain-esque persona. I, I would definitely say that there's an affinity to the silent screen clowns, but Chaplin's probably not the one I, I, I think of directly. I, even if you just look at his hand gestures, um, they seem reminiscent of, of another clown, Harry Langdon, which afforded the doctor that childlike demeanor. And then if you look at that whimsical smile or those upturned eyebrows, um, which would so often manipulatively suggest that the doctor was the perfect fool, um, it evokes comparisons to Ed Wynn and, you know, hats off to Troughton for, for picking up on these small, you know, attributes of different comedians in the past and using them uh, and manipulatively using them, not just in terms of, of um, you know, fooling um, any enemy that he's facing, but also fooling the audience, you know, generating a sense of fear. Um, you know, the other doctors, especially after Troughton, you always felt you know, that confidence with them, and you always felt like, oh, well, you know, things are going to get worked out at the end, but um, with Trout, you you always had that feeling like, is he, I mean, is, is he going to make it? I mean, he's he's always so nervous, and he's manic, and mm-hmm. but uh, that's, that that was the, the power of that, of that particular character. In fact, it was, you know, come to think of it, it was Tom Baker, who, if anybody's ever watched a documentary attached to the DVD for Robots, um, he comments, I mean, uh, he had never seen, or I don't think he, he said, I'm a, I'm a pub guy, so I haven't ever watched Doctor Who, but he mentions that he admired Patrick Troughton, and that the one thing about him that he always loved was that he was mischievous. And that word just stuck with me when I was thinking about Troughton. I, I don't know whether he was referring to Troughton's doctor, or just Troughton as an actor, but indeed, if there's one part, and as I understand, you know, um, that set was always, you know, a, a very playful set. Um, the one thing that that Troughton brought not only to the role of the Doctor but to the series entirely is that sense of mischievousness. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, thank goodness for uh, for Fraser Hines. Um, he was able to tap into that manic energy. And roll with it. As far as I'm concerned, you know, um, Jamie and the Doctor is the best, you know, um, yes. Doctor companion teaming in in the history of Doctor Who. Yeah, they played off each other very well. I, I mean, I, I even up to like to the two Doctors, I, I thought, you know, having Jamie on board with the Doctor as well, you know, it just it worked so well. Absolutely. Uh, even in the, uh, you saying the two Doctors, I mean, that how many years later? I know. Yeah. And. Um, they just jumped right back into the saddle, and it was it was ab- absolutely like it was 1968 again. In fact, if anybody ever goes back to the um, just just noting that the popularity of, of the second Doctor, if anybody goes back to the Outpost Gallifrey 2003 readers poll for like the top 100 Doctor Who episodes, uh, I, Troughton's Evil of the Daleks, and I think number 10, The Web of Fear. You know, and how many episodes of the Web of Fear exist? One. Mm. You know, I hope the the rumors are true, but um, that just points out that the Doctor, or at least Troughton's Doctor, has made such an indelible mark on the series. And um, you know, actually, I have more to add, but I think I want to wait until we start talking about. the third doctor and the fourth doctor tom baker because i think there's there are parts of um of Troughton's doctor um that gets pulled out and utilized in, in subtle ways mm-hmm. but uh i think uh i think i'll wait until uh, we go into those conversations okay well fair Bye. fair points from fair port <laughs> or jay you can just call me it's, it's uh, jay knows me as jay or Fairport. <laughs> you can call um, me thanks. jay okay um, well, um, you know, I, some of the points that you had just brought up, I, I, I 
I, I thought were very much on target. And, um, you know, with William Hartnell, he did sometimes come off as, as cold, though we did get to see his warmth as the series went on. But Patrick Troughton always had that embodiment of, of, of warmth within him. I mean, it just, uh, you had mentioned the way he shook hands. He always took the care to like shake hands with both hands and, and like vigorously and, 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 and energetically and, um, and, and, and their vulnerability that he had there and, and, and not knowing where the Tartars would take him and, and, and knowing that, that um, he couldn't just stand aside and he had to get involved. And um, it, it, I think all that was um, illustrated through Patrick Troughton's portrayal of the doctor. And, um, and, and it's just great stuff going back and watching that material. I just wish all his material exists. I, I, I just, I'm, you know, so anxious um, to I'm hoping that that as time goes on, as we're you know discussing whether or not uh, this most recent um, news about uh, was it um, what's the story about fear that that's in the news lately, thinking that may have been found. I'm hoping that we find more of his stories because it's a shame that so much of his stuff is missing. I agree. I, I actually work in in um, archival film archival, and um, you know my dream is to someday you know, open up a, a, a rusty old canister and, and pull out a story, uh, pull out a, a trout and mm-hmm. just gem. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that hasn't. Happened. Well, may your dreams come true for all of us. <laughs> as long as it's not the underwater menace. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, we'll take anything. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Um, does anyone, uh, we have no other callers, so um, if anyone else has any final comments, we'll wrap up the show. Oh, well, uh, well I've got... just, uh, I want to throw in, uh, since someone mentioned the evil of the Daleks, uh, one of the things about that was originally that was supposed to be the end of the Daleks in the series. They were supposed to be kaput after that. And... You know, they don't come back again until about five years later for Day of the Daleks when they decide to revitalize them so it's interesting when you consider that and you see how the Cybermen keep coming back and back again as if in the Troughton era there was an effort to sort of make the Cybermen the new Daleks of the series Mm -hmm. and it would have been interesting to see how that played out if they actually decided to not bring the Daleks back after that and it's interesting that we had various Cybermen stories during the Troughton era. Then we go into John Pertwee, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in his like whole five year reign as the doctor, like, like there's no Cybermen stories. And um, until um, Tom Baker comes back, you know, until I mean, it's, it's, the Cybermen yeah. come back when, when Tom Baker uh, takes the role. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that was always interesting to me how they sort of dumped them and went back to the Daleks and you know uh, also uh, one interesting thing is uh, if there's fans of Big Finish here are listening to this uh, they did I forget the name of the story but for Doctors 1 through 4 they had one of the companions read a story which is supposed to be like a brand new story that uh, goes in between you know the actual uh, TV episodes, and I know Wendy Padbury uh, reads a Dalek story that's supposed to take place in between Wheel and Space and, I guess, The Dominators. And I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but it, it might be interesting for people who hunger for more Patrick Troughton and want the closest thing to a legit Troughton story on audio, and if you have all the other ones already, it might be worth a lesson. So, mm-hmm. you know, they did it with uh, Vicky for the first Doctor as well. So, yeah. Ken, um, I, I, or was it no Dave? I'm sorry, Dave. You had some final thoughts you wanted to make a mention. Yeah, it's uh, just one little uh, sort of pub quiz tr- trivia uh, about. Oh, it's about Zoe again. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, uh, I was reading one of my companion books, and I said uh, apparently Wendy Pabry uniquely played another companion, uh, as well as playing Zoe. She also played a companion called Jenny 
in a stage production which was called the seven keys seven mm. keys of the seventh key to doomsday in 1974 at some theater yeah yeah um, so she's was, she's actually Trevor, unique in having the doctor right and so she actually played two companions and that's, that's unique amongst point. all yeah. the others mm-hmm. I, I i didn't i didn't see the show at the uh, but i i, I yeah you wouldn't the seven keys to do so yeah. I, can, I don't know sorry. that's considered canon if it's not on the TV, of course. Uh, I think it was written by Terrence Dix, too. Yeah, I, I don't recall. Possibly. I, I don't Don't argue that. So, anyway, I, I do want to also thank Jay, also known as um, Fairport, uh, for his uh, comments before. I forgot to thank him when he was um, actually um, when we signed off with him. So, thank you, Jay. And thank you, everyone, for being involved with um, with today's podcast. I, I realize I'm a little bit rusty, and, and but we'll. I got some oil right here on the back, and I'm going to be squeaking it on us for it. So when we turn in two weeks for our next live show with John Pertwee, it will um, be a well-oiled machine once again. Uh, thank you, everyone, for um, their comments and um, and as I had said in my Aftershock episode that I put out earlier before this one, uh, I do thank everyone for their well wishes and condolences and it's much appreciated. And, um, I'm very touched and thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be doing more studio episodes as well. We have some that are already in the can that have, um, have a bit of dust on it that we're going to be brushing off and getting them out on the feeds and, uh, they'll be coming your way. And, uh, I want to thank uh, Dave and Joe and, of course, Ken for being a part of today's show, as well as Jay. So um, thank you all. <laughs> okay, so cheers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I left everyone speechless. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I got to be part of this because um, I, I am so fond of Patrick Trout and, and... You know, I think I'm actually going to go back uh, home after work today and uh, watch one of the DVDs. I haven't watched Tomb of the Cybermen in a while, so I might mm. do that. Yeah. I would yeah. that off. I, I was watching some of the DVDs this morning as well. All yeah. right. Well, take care, everyone. Until next time. Um, two weeks from today, right? Two weeks from today. John Pertwee, October, I believe it's October 7th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh that- Yes, October 7th, 1 p.m., we explore the world of John Pertwee. So uh, yeah, yeah. get your gadgets in hands and um, <laughs> and, and, felt, yeah, and and your felt jackets, and we'll be um, having a ball with John Pertwee. So um, come back then, and um, take care, everyone. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Good girl. Must choose above, between, below. You in pain, Doctor? Age has not mellowed you, has he, Brigadier?